Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 171. In this episode, we will start and probably complete the book of Micah. And we find that the prophet Micah lived uh, somewhere around the 700 B.C.-ish mark. And um, he prophesied somewhere between around uh, 730 B.C. and 690 B.C., somewhere in that vicinity. And the reason that we believe this is because apparently he did witness judgment on Samaria, i.e. the northern kingdom, and saw them taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And so... Uh, Micah is a little bit different than the other prophets, just a little bit, in that he seemed to prophesy equally to the northern and southern kingdoms, and not just primarily one or the other, or like some of the other prophets actually prophesied against different lands altogether, neither the north or the south. And so, but Micah seems to have prophesied equally between the northern and the southern kingdoms. And so, with that background, let's get into the book of Micah. In chapter 1, it says in verse 2, Coming judgment on Israel. Listen, all you peoples, pay attention, earth, and everyone in it. Pay attention, earth, and everyone in it. So, obviously, he's expanding his audience here. Okay, it says, listen, all you peoples. Again, he's prophesying to the northern kingdom Israel, but he tags on, pay attention, earth, and everyone who lives in it. The Lord will be a witness against you. The Lord... Uh, from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is leaving his place and coming down to trample the heights of the earth. And so Micah is prophesying that the Lord has told him, look, I'm seeing so much nonsense. I'm going to depart from my residence. I'm coming down from the holy temple and I'm coming down on earth to deal with this nonsense. And so what is he referring to? It says in verse five, it says, all this will happen because of Jacob, Jacob's rebellion. You see, so the Lord is coming down because his people, Jacob, are just going crazy. And they're rebelling against his word, and he can't have it. So all this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. See, so the rebellion leads to the sins. <clears throat> what is the rebellion of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? And so he said, okay, what is this rebellion of Jacob? You know, isn't it Samaria? Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. It says in the capital itself is where this sin is rampant. And it says, what is the high place of Judah? He's bringing Judah into this now. Isn't it Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. And he says the, the apostasies are taking place in Jerusalem, in the capital. So we have the capital of the northern kingdom, Samaria, the capital of the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, and they're both just going crazy. They're both just exercising sin, lawlessness, whatever. It says, therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the countryside. Then it says in verse 7, all her carved images will be smashed to pieces. All her wages will be burned in the fire, and I will destroy all her idols. Since she uh, collected the wages of a prostitute, they will be used again for a prostitute. Now, what does this mean? It says, since she was partaking of, of the prostitute and getting benefits from the prostitute, meaning that she was cavorting with the other nations in the region, uh, worshiping their idols, um, uh, indulging herself in their practices, and you know, reaping whatever rewards from those pra- practices and idols. It says, because she has collected those wages from, uh, from these foreign lands, I'm going to send the foreign land to discipline her, to defeat her, 
and then the foreign land will use the proceeds from the land of Israel. Uh, in other words, the, 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 the spoils of Israel will return to a prostitute, the prostitute being the foreign land that's going to come against Israel. In this case, he's talking about Assyria. And so <laughs> Assyria will be paid with the wages of the prostitute. I'm going to pay the prostitute with a prostitute's wage. Mm. Then it says Micah's lament. And so this is, of course, um, uh, very disturbing and, and distraught, Micah. And he says, because of this, I, Micah, will lament and wail. I will walk barefoot and naked. I will howl like the jackals and mourn like ostriches. <laughs> So Michael said, uh, Micah says, because of this stuff, I'm, I'm just going to be despondent. It says, for her wound is incurable and has reached even Judah. And so what Micah is saying here is like her wound, her being the northern kingdom, Israel, her, her wound is incurable. She can't be cured is what he's saying. And because her wound is so deep and the illness is so vast that it has even reached Judah. It has even touched Judah, her wickedness, her evilness, her lawlessness. It's, it's been so rampant and so deep, it's even touched Judah. It says, it has approached my people's city gate as far as Jerusalem. And so Micah is really uh, despondent and lamenting uh, and wailing because of this. <clears throat> Let's go on to chapter 2. It says, oppressors judged. Verse 1, woe to, who, woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans on their beds. <laughs> woe to the, it implies that they're, they're laying in bed just thinking about the evil and wicked things they can do on the next day. Let's see, now what can I do tomorrow? That's, they're probably not thinking that's evil and wicked, but what can I do tomorrow to increase my wealth? You know, whether I take advantage of other people or not, who cares? What can I do to get further ahead? What can I do in order to further my greatness? And so it says, woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans on their beds. At morning light, they accomplish it because the power is in their hands. And so this implies that this word is going against the leaders and, and the wealthy and the noble people of society. It says, because the power is in their hands. No, they have the power, they, and, and, and with great power comes great responsibility, see? And so I believe this is aimed at those people who think of ways to take advantage of the people beneath them. It says, at the morning light, they accomplish it because the power is in their hands. It says in verse 2, they covet fields and seize them. They also take houses. They deprive a man of his home, a person of his inheritance. And so it says, these people are taking advantage of other people. They're taking their property. They're taking their inheritances. They're enriching themselves at the expense of their fellow brother uh, beneath them. Therefore, the Lord says, I am now planning a disaster against this nation. You cannot free your necks from it. Then you will not walk so proudly because it will be an evil time. And so the Lord says, because of this, because of what's going on, you're going to get it, and you're not going to be able to escape. Nope, I'm not going to allow that. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's drop down. It says, God's word rejected. It says in verse 6, quit your preaching, they preach. <laughs> quit your preaching, they preach. They should not... Uh, they should not preach these things. Shame will not overcome us. Now, what does this mean? And so the people are saying, the leaders, the wicked people are saying, quit your preaching. 
In other words, they're talking to the, uh, to the priests and the prophets, to the righteous priests and prophets of the time. They're saying, quit your preaching. See, <clears throat> it says they should not preach these things. Shame will not overtake us. In other words, they're, they're telling folks, look, you quit, quit what you're preaching because what you're preaching, we don't buy it. Shame isn't going to overcome us, you see. And so what they're telling them to do is to stop preaching the accurate word of the Lord. Stop preaching the real word of the Lord because we don't want to hear. We don't buy it because shame is not going to overtake us. Nothing can touch us. So this is arrogance on display. They're telling God's people, God's anointed, to quit saying what you're saying because we don't buy it. So they're rejecting the word. So let's go on to chapter 3. <clears throat> Come on. Okay. It says, unjust leaders judged. Then I said, now listen, leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, aren't you supposed to know what is just? So it's like talking to the politicians today. Aren't you supposed to know what is just and right? Aren't you? And then it says, you hate good and love evil. It says, you eat the flesh of my people after you strip their skin from them and break their bones. You chop them up like flesh for the cooking pot, like meat in a cauldron. See, you're supposed to be watching out for their best interests, for what's good for them. But no, what you're doing is you're taking advantage of them. Because you're looking at the good things and considering them evil, looking at the evil things and considering them good because they allow you to benefit from them. See? So you don't care what you do to the other people, to the masses. All you care about is benefiting. It says you're devouring my people instead of uplifting my people, essentially. You are in a position of authority and this is what you should be doing, but you're not even coming close to that. Then it says false prophets judged. It says in verse 5, this is what the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who, pro who proclaim peace when they have food to sink in their teeth, uh, when they have food to sink their teeth into, but declare war against the one who puts nothing in their mouths. And so what this means is that the prophet comes along, and if you feed the prophet, pay the prophet, whatever, he's going to give you a good word. See? But if you don't give the prophet anything, if you don't pay him, if you don't feed him, if he doesn't benefit from meeting with you, he's going to give you a harsh word. And so the prophet is going to prophesy based on how he benefits, not based on what the Lord is telling him or showing him, assuming the Lord is telling or showing him anything. See, And so the word says uh, concerning those prophets who lead my people astray and who do these things. It says, therefore, it will be night for you without visions. It will grow dark for you without divination. The sun will set on these prophets and the daylight will turn black over them. And so that you know, the sun will set on these prophets. Is that a poetic way of saying the light is going to leave these prophets? In other words, the light of their life is going to lead them and the daylight will turn black over them, meaning that they will shut their eyes and never awaken again. I don't know. I, I, that's the way that's kind of the way I'm interpreting it is that because you do these things, because you lead my people astray, because you lie to them based on whether they pay you or not, I'm going to take you out. It says in verse eight, uh, this is Micah talking. As for me, however, I am filled with power by the spirit of the Lord with justice and courage to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion and to Israel his sin. So Micah is saying, look, 
that's them. But me, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to speak the word of the Lord. I'm going to tell you what the Lord has revealed to me. I'm going to tell you unfiltered what the Lord tells me. I'm going to proclaim justice and I'm going to do it with courage because the Lord has told me this is my word. And if it means a harsh word to you, Jacob, about your rebellion and about your sin and the payment for your sin, then so be it. The next section says uh, Zion's destruction. It says in verse 11, her leaders issue rulings for a bribe. Her priests teach for payment and her prophets uh, practice divination for silver. We've already talked about, you know, the, the priest teach. I say, I'll, I'll teach if you pay me. Remember, there were no Bibles back then. And so there were just scrolls and, and revelation from the Lord. And so these, uh, these prophets and priests had to teach and prophesy off of that. You know, they couldn't pick up a Bible and read it because it didn't exist. And so the people couldn't pick up a Bible and check for themselves. So the responsibility of the prophets and priests was very high. You know, the people couldn't cross-check. And it says, her priests teach for payment and her prophets practice divination for silver. Yet they lean on the Lord saying, isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will overtake us. And so they're saying that, look, we're priests and prophets of, of the Lord. And yeah, we're demanding payment for our services, but the Lord is among us. So nothing's going to happen to us. Verse 12, therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become ruins and the temple's mountain will be a high thicket. See, and so <laughs> Micah said, wait a minute. No, no. Because of you, because you say these things, because you're lying, because you're deluding yourself. See, then this is what's going to happen to Zion. It's going to it's going to be plowed like a field. Jerusalem's going to come to ruins. And then, you know, this is basically born out of um, arrogance, pride. Chapter four, the Lord's rule from the Lord's rule from restored Zion in the last days. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. Peoples will stream to it and many nations will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so we can uh, so we may walk in his paths for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It says he will settle disputes amongst many peoples and provide arbitration for strong nations that are far away. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nations will not take up the sword against nation. They will never again train for war. Now, this is talking about in the uh, millennial reign of Christ. And so we're out, we're out um, in judgment days, in judgment time. So we haven't reached there yet. But this is painting a vision for what it's going to be like. And the world and nations that are far from Jerusalem, from Zion, uh, the world is going to seek their direction, their wisdom and whatnot from the Mount on high, from God Almighty. <clears throat> so let's uh, let's go on to chapter five, and it says here, uh, from defeated ruler to conquering king. It says in verse two, it says, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. 
This is pointing towards the arrival of Jesus. See, we have several places in the Old Testament, and this is one, that are prophesying about the arrival of Jesus on the scene. In verse 4, it says, He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in his majestic name of the Lord is God. In the, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. And we see that in the time of Jesus, his notoriety about his greatness has extended to the ends of the earth. See, people know the name Jesus. Now, they may not know the particulars about what Jesus did. They may not know the particulars of why exactly he came. So they may be not flush with the details, but they know the name Jesus. For then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. Let's see, we are in chapter 5. Okay, let's go on to chapter 6. And it says God's lawsuit against Judah. God has a lawsuit against Judah. It says, now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills uh, hear your complaint. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains, and enduring um, foundations of the earth. And so the Lord is going to uh, present a case against his people, and the mountains and the foundations of the earth are the jury. <laughs> because the Lord has a case against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. In verse 3, it says, My people, what have I done to you? Or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. So the Lord is upset here because he's saying, look, what have I done to you such that you are doing all of these things against me? You know, what, what did I do to you so that you have turned to evil and wickedness? And when, let, Tell me. It says, testify against me. Let me know. It says in verse 4, Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. He talks about what he's he done with uh, Moses, Aaron. He talked about uh, what he did with uh, King Balak of Moab. He's, he, he brings these things up with regard to how he has, has saved them and ministered to them. And he's like, what have I done to you? You know, in verse 6 it says, the, the answer is uh, from the people it says, what should I, I'm taking this to be I, the people of Israel, what should I bring before the Lord when uh, I come to bow before God on high? So they're saying, okay, we've been guilty, but what should we, what, how can we atone for this? What should we bring to you? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with um, thousands of rams or with 10,000 uh, 10, streams of oil? Uh, the word says, should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? So I say, okay, Lord, what, how shall I sacrifice in order to get right with you? And in verse 8, it says, mankind, he has told each of you what is good. So Mike has said, look, man, he's already told you what is good and righteous. It says, uh, mankind, he has already told or he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. What is that? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he wants. He wants you to not be wicked, not be unjust. He wants you to act justly. He wants you to love faithfulness. Do what he tells you to do. Honor him by your obedience. That's what he wants. 
And he says, don't get, get rid of pride. Don't bring pride anywhere near me. I want you to walk humbly with me. This is what he wants. And so what he wants is not a secret, people. It's his verdict of the judgment in verse 10. Are there still the treasures of wickedness and the accused short measure in the house of the wicked? And so the, what's being asked here, it says, okay, this is what I want, but are there still, is there still treasures of wickedness in this house? Are people still using dishonest means to measure things and to take advantage of other people? <clears throat> It says in verse thing, it says, as a result, I have begun to strike you severely, bringing desolation because of your sins. You will eat, but not be satisfied. You will sow, but not reap. And so the Lord is saying, look, you know what I want and you're not doing it. You've known what I've wanted and you still weren't doing it. So therefore, I'm going to bring desolation on you. See, you will eat, but you won't be satisfied. You will sow, but you won't reap. You know, your efforts will be in vain. You know, because the Lord is essentially saying, I can't trust you. Let's go on to chapter 7. And it says, Israel's moral decline. In verse 2, it says, Faithful people have vanished from the land. There is no one upright among the people. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with a net. Both hands are good at accomplishing evil. In other words, one hand isn't more dominant than, than the other. Both hands, the entire body, is very good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful man communicates his evil desire, they plot it together. So the powerful man, the rich man, uh, when he uh, communicates with the judge, um, that they plot evil together. The one who's supposed to keep justice alive, who's supposed to execute justice, is in fact uh, uh, um, cavorting with uh, the powerful man to do evil. <laughs> it says in verse 4, the best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a head of, of thorns. In other words, you can go to the prison. He says, okay, uh, the best guys in here are the robbers. At least they're not the murderers and the, and the rapists and whatnot. And so the best of them are just the robbers. And so this is what the word's saying, is that the best of them are still criminals. The best of them are still evil. It says, do not rely on your friend. Don't trust in a close companion. This is rough now. It says, seal your mouth from the woman who lays in your arms. In other words, keep your mouth shut with your spouse. It says, surely a son considers his father a fool. A daughter opposes her mother, and a mother and a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. See, th th this is this is a rough word, but this is a state of Israel's moral decline. See, this is a result of that moral decline. In other words, you can't trust nobody. Nobody. It says in verse 7, But I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So it says, trust nobody, even those in your own household, but look to the Lord. And then lastly, it says, Zion's vindication. It says in verse 8, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, though I have fallen, I will stand up. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I must endure the Lord's fury until he champions my cause and establishes justice for me. See, that, that's, a, that's a mature attitude. 
It says, because I had sinned against him, I'm not trying to skate around this. I'm not trying to put it on somebody else because I have sinned against him. It says, I must endure the Lord's fury until he champions my cause. And so this is an understanding that I have to pay a penance and it, it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But I have faith. I believe that eventually he's going to champion my cause when he sees the sincerity of my heart and establishes justice for me. He will bring me into the light. I will see his salvation. It says in verse 10, then my enemy will see and she will be covered with shame. The one who said to me, the one who essentially the one who mocked me, where is your God? <laughs> my eyes will look at her in triumph. At that time, she will be trampled like mud in the streets. In other words, I will have the last laugh <laughs> and not those who mock me about the Lord my God. And with that, we are finished with the book of Micah, and we will pick up the book of Nahum tomorrow. Um, and again, you know, you, you should read chapter 10 of Romans and commit it to memory. And, and just uh, tell yourself over and over and over and over and over again. Because it's so important that we get this ingrained into our spirits with regard to the invitation that is set before us. The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes in the heart, resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That is a promise from God. And if it's a promise from God, you can take it to the bank. And so with that, everybody, be blessed, stay safe, and we'll see you tomorrow in episode 172. Bye-bye.